Greetings and welcome back to another ongoing series of Shurim and Daf Yomi. We are now in Masachet Kiddushin Daf Chaf Amur Aleph. And as promised, this will be a relatively long podcast. We're taking a look at uh, a lot of the different angles of Ebed Ivri and of Yud. Tanar Rabbanan, im What does that phrase mean? So the first opinion is We'll see what the implication of that is. He comes in and leaves with his body. He means he says that bigapo means alone. You come in alone, you leave alone, and we'll see what each of these phrases means. My What's the implication of the first meaning? That he does not leave, unlike an Evakani who gets freedom if uh, his master knocks out one of his limbs, Abedivu just gets payment. We learned that from the phrase that an Amevriya does not leave like Avadim. We saw that already. Perhaps you would think that they would get even more. In other words, you have to pay him for the eye and let him go. Kamash Malan, that he doesn't go at all. He gets paid, but it doesn't uh, create an exit strategy. If he's already married and has kids when he comes in to be an Abed Ivri, then his master can also give him a Shifcha Knanit. If he doesn't, then he comes in alone, leaves alone, and he's not given a Shifcha. All right, good. So that's how the other interpretation. Now, let's say he was sold for $1,000, and while he was there, the value of his work went up to $2,000 for that period. How do we know that if he wants to free himself, we only reckon him as being worth 1000 We'll call it 1000 right now, 100 really, Zuz. He is redeemed based on the money of his sale. Let's say the opposite happened. Let's say his value or the value of work in general went down. How do we know that when he wants to redeem himself, we only consider him worth the lesser value? In that adjacent pasuk, and you see on the page, it says based on his years. Now we're going to see why we've interpreted this so charitably. Remember, those two psukim are about an ever that's sold to a non-Jew. We understand that he's redeemed by relatives, therefore he has uh, he has a sort of the, the disadvantage, so therefore we want to help him out at least. And how about somebody who's sold to a Jew who can redeem himself? That goes back to what we saw at the beginning of the sugya, the Gezer HaShav of Sachir Sachir, which ultimately we said everybody accepts. Now, Amar Baya, Harini Kibanaza Vishuke Tveria. Baya said about himself, I am like Benazai. Benazai used to gather people in the Shuk of Tveria. Baya, of course, wasn't in Tveria, he was in Babel. And he used to gather people and uh, kind of pose and ask the rabbi session. So he says, Okay, ask me anything. I'm like Benazai was in Shuke Tveria. I'm like, So one of the students asked him, You can interpret these Psukim. Leniently or stringently, meaning to the benefit of the Ebed or to his detriment. Why are you darshaning them all to his benefit? So that if his value goes up, he retains the lower value for redemption. And if his value goes down, he gets the new lower value. The Torah was lenient in his case. The Torah says that the Eved might want to stay because he's having a good life with you. What does that mean? He has to be able to eat the same things you eat, 
drink with you. You shouldn't be eating good bread, and he's eating uh, bad bread or dark bread. You're drinking old wine, he's drinking new wine. You're sleeping on a nice bed. He's sleeping on straw. We'll see this again. They used to say that if you bought an Ebed Ivri, it's like you're buying a master for yourself. You have to make sure he has it as good or better than you. So you see the Torah is lenient in his case. Perhaps the Torah is also lenient. And therefore we should always interpret the Psukim in a, um, in a, in a, in a lenient fashion. Uh, perhaps maybe that's only referring to while he's living with you how he should be treated literally eating and drinking we don't want to pain him perhaps when it comes to redemption we should be machmer on him and we have a reason to a famous long drush look how terrible it is to be dealing even in the dust of Shemitah meaning even in questionable activities of selling Shemitah fruit let's see Adam no seven no ten perot shvit. A person, and he's darshing this based on the sequence of psukim and parsha bahar. The beginning of parsha bahar, of course, talks about shmita and the prohibition of working on shmita. So he says a person does business with perot shvit. The sof mocher mim tatalav. He's going to end up selling his own property. Shenemar bishnata yovel. What does it say right after the end of Yovel, which is the summary, shall we say, the end of the Shemitah section? The next part is about selling metaltalin, things that are sold from hand to hand, not real estate. Lo here, Gish, if he didn't pick up on it and do tshuva, that's the assumption. Then he starts selling his land. The next part is about a person becoming poor and having to sell his property. If he still doesn't get it, the next thing he does is sells his house. A man sells a house in a walled city. Now, parenthetically, we're cutting into the bright. How come in the case of the second sale, we said that first he was selling perot and they said he didn't feel it, he wasn't sensitive to it. In the case of the third one, it says he didn't have enough. The answer is, Kedaravuna, Damaravuna, there's the famous quote-unquote Hetor of Ravuna. Once a person has sinned and repeated it, it's mutter to him. You think it's really mutter? It becomes mutter. In other words, he doesn't treat it so seriously. So he has hope that when he's done one terrible sin and he sees that he's punished, that suddenly he's become impoverished, hopefully he'll figure it out. After the second one, he continues his bad behavior, then it's just a question of whether he's fortunate enough to have the stuff, but he's not going to figure it out. Now, once he sold his house, the next thing that's going to happen is he's going to have to sell his daughter. Even though that's not in this parsha, that's in parshat mishpatim. That's there to teach you that it's better that a person should do this terrible thing of selling his daughter to servitude rather than borrowing money on interest, which of course is just going to eat up his whole life. My time, Barte Megarvanafka. The daughter's debt gets lessened. Giron Kasef, and he can pay her out. Vaha Musfavazla, but Rebit just keeps going up and up and up, and it destroys you. All right, and that's there because Rebit is mentioned in our parsha. So Rabbi Yosua sort of takes the parsha from Mishpatim and plugs it in to teach you another lesson, which is as bad as this is, it's better than the next step in Bahar, which is 
borrowing Berebit. So the next thing that happens is, if you don't get it, and uh, you're not able to get out of this situation, you borrow money Berebit. With interest, you're not allowed to lend Beribit. So why does it mention that? Because here this guy, Nabach, is borrowing Beribit. Ultimately, he sells himself. He's sold to you. Not only to you, he'll be sold to a ger. This ger, we assume now, is a ger toshav, a non-Jew who has accepted the basic moral and religious contours of the Noachad law, and then it says, And then ultimately he sold to a non-Jew, a pagan. When it says, What's that? He sold to work in an, in a, in an idolatrous temple. In other words, Rabbi Yosef Hanina has built a homily based on the sequence of sales listed in Parshat Bahar, plugging in the sale of the daughter, uh, to demonstrate, look how terrible it is if you do business with Shemitah fruit, it, they, you, you cascade it down. So the notion of it is that if somebody has sold himself into slavery, it's started because he did something terrible. So maybe we should not interpret the psukim liberally and help him out as we did. And that's what Abai is being asked. So Amarle, so Abai then answered, Hatamahadre Kra, the Torah nonetheless saved him. Since this guy is gone and ended up working, perhaps even as a priest, to Avodah Zarah, maybe we should throw a rock after the fallen man, throw up salt in his wounds, not help him out. At the end of the whole parsha, it says, after he sold, meaning sold to this non-Jew, meaning sold to the to the idolatrous non-Jew, you have to redeem him. One of his brethren has to redeem him. So in other words, you see that even though he's gone all this terrible way and likely he is part of the cause of it, nonetheless we have to redeem him. Maybe it means we have to redeem him so he doesn't end up assimilating. But if he wants to redeem himself and he's sold to a Jew... And it's just a question of getting his own freedom. We should still be based on that brayta and interpret the psukim stringently and always take the higher value that he has to pay out. He says that there's two psukim. If there are a lot of years left, then you consider it that way. And if there are only a few years left, you consider it that way. And as you base it on how many years there are left to the yovel to buy him out. out. Now, the, the problem is that the wording is odd. Are there many years and few years? Well, of course there are on the whole scale. But the way we're reading it is, is there a year that's longer than another? The way we're reading it is, if there's a year in which his value has gone up, then we go back to his sale price. If the year is small, meaning that his value has gone down, then you do it based on this year. All right, so as Rabbi Nachman Yitzchak says, we have an indication in the psukim that we should read it always in his favor. Not because we want to favor him, because that's the way the psukim seem to be leaning. Maybe the way we should read the psukim is as follows. If he only worked two years and his four years left, he has to pay four based on the original price. But if he's already worked four and there's only two left, means he's worked more than half the time, we should give two based on the years, meaning based on his value now. But not that always we take the lower value. 
The answer is, Im ke nichtov kray, im od rabot shanim, im ma'at nishar shanim. And then it should say, if there's a lot left of years, or the few left of years, my bashanim, why does it say in the years? Meaning, if during these years his value has gone up, then you go back to sale price. If his value has gone down during these years, then you do it based on the, the years, meaning based on the present value. Okay, uh, so now we've got Abaya's uh, solution, based on Racham Yitzhak's defense, of why we read the Psukim, Liberally in favor of the Evid. Yosef praised that he darshan his psukim so perfectly and so beautifully to defend the halacha. Alright, We have three questions that Rav Huna Barachina is going to ask of Rav Sheshit. First, Evid Ivri and If an Evid Ivri is sold to a non-Jew, can we redeem him halfway? Meaning, if he can only accumulate, or we can only accumulate half his price, can we pay it and have this guy be a half Evid? Meaning, half the time he's free. Gulato, gulato, Do we infer the word gulato, which is written here, and gulato in the context of redeeming sdeachuza, an ancestral field that's been uh, that's uh, been dedicated? Um, and there, that cannot be half redeemed. Either you redeem it from Hekdesh or you don't. So same thing here. Uh, um, maybe the Hekdesh is only Lakula. And that's a Sugin Arachin. So Rav Sheshit said, didn't we already say in the context of a Gneva that we only sell the full person and not the half person? Remember, if uh, the Gneva was worth less than his value? Same thing, we only redeem full of him, the, the, the full man, we don't redeem half of him. It's the same concept, you can't have a half Evid Ivri. So you can't have a half Evid Ivri by selling him half, you also can't redeem half. So Abaye then turned around and said, commenting on this, if you would say that you could redeem in half, I could show you that it wouldn't always be to his benefit. Lakula, that's easy. If you redeemed him for a hundred, and you bought him for a hundred, and then he pays fifty, which is half his value. And then in the meantime, he goes up to two hundred. If you say there's half redemption, then then he's half redeemed. He can pay a hundred, which is half of what's left, and go out. Which means in the end, he's paid 150, even though he's worth 200. If you say he can't be redeemed by half, he has to pay 150 to fill the full 200 and, and get out. But didn't you just say that an Evid Ivri always gets the lower value? We either go to his original value or the present value. So Abayi defends that by saying, going to Oker, resolve Oker. He was originally sold for 200, and in the meantime went down for 100, then he paid 50, and then he went back up to 200. So if you say, Nigal HaTzoyin, he could pay 100 and leave. If not, he has to pay 150 and leave. But this is the surprising part. I'll show you how it's a Chumrah. Zavne b'matan, if he was bought for 200. Yoiv mea pagadami, he paid 100, which is half his value. V'yichsev v'kalamea, and then he goes down to 100. Yamar nigal ha'chatzayin, if you say he has to redeem, he can be redeemed by half, then yoiv lechem shimonofi, he has to still pay another 50, because he only paid a half out. V'yamar t'enigal ha'chatzayin, but if you say there is no such thing as half redemption, hanachmea pikodoninu gabe, the 100 that he paid when he was worth 200, are just a pikodon with the master. And then he turns around and says, keep the picard, and that's my hundred, I'm out of here. So you could end up hurting yourself by allowing the half-redemption. 
All right, so that's the first bit, and that's going to set us up for the series of questions. As I put a little little note on top of the page, if you sell a house in the walled cities of Israel, then you have one year to redeem the house. After that, uh, it becomes the property of the buyer. On the other hand, if you sell a field, for two years you can't touch it. Only after two years can you come to redeem it. So now let's start with buy, buy, buy it. You sell a house in a walled city. Can we redeem it halfway? Again, pay half now, and then you'll have to pay half later and get it out. Gulato, gulato, Again, do we learn the term gulato from steachuza? Ma steachuza, you can't redeem in half. It's hektesh. It's maybe it's only where the Torah said you can't redeem it halfway. Like a steachuza. But the Torah didn't say it, we don't apply it. In other words, it's, we're not going to really accept the Zerashava fully. I can infer from Shimon the following. First of all, you can borrow money and redeem it and then have it as a debt to your creditor. And second of all, you can redeem it in halves. This is redeeming the field. Uh, redeeming the house. If indeed he shall redeem, that it allows multiple or expanded redemptions. So you can redeem in half. Amr Bishimon Matam. So why? Somebody who sells a steachuza has good power. If he doesn't redeem it by Yovel, it comes back to him. But he still has a weakness that he cannot borrow and, and redeem it, or redeem it in half. Makdish, if you're Makdish is Teachuza, Shahura Kocho, he has less power. Why? If Yovel comes and it wasn't redeemed, he loses it forever, it goes to the Kohanim. Nonetheless, he has a power that he can redeem it by half. Now, so now let's say the same thing. And as Rabbi Shimon said, that somebody who is not able to redeem it, and it won't get it back by Yovel, so we have, he has the other strength, he loses that power, he has the other strength, the other advantage of being able to redeem it by halves, so if he if the year goes and he hasn't redeemed the house, he loses it forever. So So therefore he should have the same rule that he's able to borrow and redeem and redeem it in halves. He pay half half fast now, and that keeps it from being nachlat, and later pay the other half. Now, so Rabbi Shimon seems to say that you can do it. Eitave, we have a challenge. And this now is referring to Steachuza. You'll see. Steachuza. If you sell Steachuza, you sell a field. It comes back to you in Yovel. That's good for you. Nonetheless, you have a weakness that you cannot half redeem it. Makdish Urakocho, somebody who's Makdish the Steachuza, who has no power. If Yovel comes, he loses it forever, goes to the Kohanim. He should certainly not be able to redeem it by half. Of course, the argument goes the opposite. We want to give him an extra advantage because he loses there. So the answer is, Wait a second. Somebody who sells Steachuza in general has weakness. He can't redeem it right away. Remember I told you, you have to wait two years. But somebody who's Maktish can redeem it immediately. So you see he has more power. 
So perhaps we allow him to, to redeem it by half. So I can prove, disprove that theory from somebody who sells a house. He can redeem it immediately. And he can't redeem it by half. So here we see a brighter that says that you sell a house, you can't redeem it in half. And you just got through saying that you can redeem it by half. The answer is very simple. Lokasha, Harabonan, Harabishimon. Rabbonan say you can't redeem it in half. Rabbishimon says you can't. Alright, good. Tani Chara, Lovagol, Lagol, Chatsoin. Tani Chain, Lovagol, Lagol, Chatsoin. So we have these two bright dot, and the answer is Lokasha, Harabonan, Harabishimon. Can you, when you sell a house, can you redeem it by half, or can you borrow to redeem it, or must it be your own money paid in full? That's Rabbonan versus Rabbishimon. Okay. Amrle Rav, Rav Achab, Re, De Rav, Rashi. So now we're still in that argument. After all, somebody who sells a house in a, in a walled city, he has a weakness because he cannot redeem it forever. He doesn't have redemption till Yovel. Can redeem it at least till Yovel? So he said, based on that, we should go back to the original din. As everything is knocking everything out, showing the weakness here is the strength there. So then we will see the common denominator, which is Mocher disproves that. Why? It can be redeemed forever. We all agree that you can't buy back your field in halves. So that should prove to you that just because you have the ability to redeem it till Yovel doesn't mean you have the redeem, ability to redeem it by halves. So Wait a second. If you sell a Steachuza, you can't redeem it immediately. That will prove it because that you can redeem immediately. Again, the perspectives are different. What's the one commonality here? They are redeemed, but not by half. So I'll show you You can redeem Hektesh, but you can't do it by half. So that's so that disproves that the argument that we just had. So let's see. You could challenge that. I'll show you one commonality between selling Steachuza uh, and selling a house in Baterichoma that is not shared by Makdish. Makdish is stronger. The second year, none of them can redeem. A house is lost by the end of the first year, and a field can't be redeemed till the till after two years. But Makdish can redeem at any time from the time he's Makdish till Yovel, including the second year. The answer is you could answer that back. And this brings us back home. An Ebed Ivri sold to a non-Jew could disprove that. He can be redeemed in the second year. He still cannot be redeemed by halves. Which takes us back to our original statement of Rav Sheshet that says you cannot redeem an Ebed Ivri by halves. Okay. So that was that entire discussion. Ask a second question of Sheshit. If you sell a house in, in the walled city, can relatives be forced to redeem it? Do we infer Gulato, which is written about the house in the walled city and written about the field? 
It can't be redeemed by halves, but but relatives are forced to come and redeem it. That's how part of the story of Ruth. So also, even though you can't redeem it by half, as we just established, you can redeem it, but you can force relatives to buy it out. Maybe the whole issue of gula is just there about the halves to knock that out. It's not talking about krovim. In other words, the gzereshov is not that for that. And therefore, a, um, a house, a house by an uh, in Arichoma, you can't force the relatives to redeem the house of their relative who had to sell it. Amarle inonigal. Rav Sheshit said, you're right, you can't. By the way, Rav Sheshit, some of has come down strictly on all these questions. And the way reading it is bakol geulatinu. You got to give redemption to everything. That's there to include houses and eved ivri. So we think my We think that means houses and walled cities. That means you have to allow any kind of redemption. Lo It's talking about houses within courtyards, not outside of the walled cities. Which therefore that it says explicitly. They're considered part of the land. And therefore, just like Steachus is redeemed by relatives, so Batechom is redeemed by relatives. It says explicitly that houses on the fields are considered like fields. The second Pasuk is there to tell you you're obligated to do it. Not just relatives can get involved if they want to, but they have to. The relative has to come and redeem the sale of his brother. Rishut. That means he may. He has the rights. I tell him, Rishut, perhaps it's an obligation. If a man has no redeemer. Is there any Jew who doesn't have a redeemer? Everybody has relatives. This is talking about a man who has relatives who don't want to redeem, and they don't have to. That's where Yeshua's approach. Rabbi Eliezer disagrees, and he says, You're obligated to redeem. Again, this is the, the, the whole subtext of Megillat Rut. You might think it's just voluntary. You have to redeem everything. So Eliezer then says that that pasuk is there to tell you it's a chova. But that's not referring to Batei Orichoma. That's referring to Batei Chatserim. They go along with the field, and there there's an obligation for relatives to redeem. I understand if you say batim is there to include batirichoma. That's why it says bachol What's the bachol here? The answer is kasha. Because since we've already said, I'll stay and the houses out in the field and in farms and fields are considered like the field, so you already know that you have the right to. What's the bachol here as if pushing you to another type of item being sold that they, that has multiple gulot? The answer is kashi, difficult. Why does the Torah say he may rede- he will redeem it three different times, referring to the relatives redeeming the Jew who has sold himself to a non-Jew? To tell you any kind of gula that all gulot follow that order, that order of he is him he redeems himself, his relatives redeem him, other people redeem him. My love, Bate Arichoma Vevid Ivri. Isn't that talking about Bate Arichoma? Which means, if you can't redeem it yourself, then your relatives have to. Lo, Bate Chatzerim Ustea What he means is, again, all the things on the field. There, the, the, when the houses or the fields themselves, the relatives have to redeem also if he can't redeem it himself. 
Wait a second, that's already written in the Torah explicitly. I don't need Bachol to the to add that. Yeah, but it's there to tell you that you have a hierarchy. It starts with the closest relative, which of course is very much the story of the beginning of the fourth chapter and then the third chapter of Ruth, that Boaz says there's a Karov who's closer, a Goel Karov Mimani. So wait, where did Ram Nachman Yitzchak say that that we're quoting it? On this question that was asked, If an Ebedi be sold to a Jew, can relatives be forced to redeem him? Right, Rabbi, if you recall back earlier in our sugya, the very beginning of the sugya, said, says an Ebed Ivri who sold to a non-Jew can be redeemed by relatives, but not one sold to a Jew, and he built a Kalvachomer on that. Our question is not according to Rebbe. Rebbe certainly says Krovim cannot be forced to redeem an Ebed Ivri who sells himself to a Jew. What about according to Rabbanan? Do they redeem, they, they read Socher Socher, and therefore connect an Ebed Ivri sold to a non-Jew, to an Ebed Ivri sold to a Jew, and they don't darshan Yigalenu. Only this one's redeemed and not another. The Ebedivri sold to a Jew. Maybe they accept the drush of Yigalenu as exclusive, saying we only redeem, the relatives only have to redeem an Ebedivri sold to a Jew. So, the Toshma, Bechol Gulatinu, Arbat Batim, Vavadivri. Alright, this piece that we've been looking at. My love, Bate Arechoma, Vavadivri, Karli Israel. So, we already knocked up Bate Arechoma, right? And what about the Ebedivri? Ebedivri, Anim Karla, would Kochavim. We're talking about an Ebedivri sold to a non Jew. What are you talking about? And this is the same problem we've just we've had before with the Batim. How can you tell me that the Pasuk is there to engender a new obligation? That obligation is already written. The obligation for relatives to redeem a Jewish cousin, a Jewish relative, who sold to a non Jew is explicit. Uh, the answer is this Pasuk is there to tell you not only that he may, but that he must. Even according to Rabbi Yeshua, who says that you're not obligated to redeem the property, but you are re- obligated to redeem the Ebed who sold to the non-Jew. Toshma matam loma yigalenu yigalenu gimapalmim. Why does it say it three times? All gulot follow that order. Yourself, your closer relatives, further relatives, etc., than anybody else. Isn't it saying all gulot, meaning even an Ebed who sold to a Jew? Again, the same answer. That's explicit in the Torah. And is the original statement, the Karv Karv Kodem. It's there to tell you that the closer relative has the first obligation. And only if he doesn't act on it, then the next relative has the obligation. Okay, we'll pause at this point, And we Hashem pick up at the next podcast and complete our way to the end of the sugya. Everyone should have a wonderful day.